Welcome to Polymos Key Characters with me, Hal Crawford. Today, I'm speaking with Frank Cheng, the co-founder of Singaporean game developer Thuni Magus. Thuni is the studio behind God Game Aperon, which our experts have been keen on for some time. As you'll hear in the interview, Aperon is ambitious, with a suite of games and an IP franchise planned. No one makes single games anymore. Listen carefully to the interview and you'll hear Frank explain why. My name is Frank Chang. I'm the law keeper and co-founder of Aperon, Funimigas. And uh, well, my, my role here, we don't use the C-suite role. So law keeper is more a fun role that we try to keep a lean management on. And uh, But uh, my role in the company, more the guy who founded everything and uh, funded everything in the beginning. And I spitball high concepts. Then I mostly find people who are as crazy as me to, to either fund the project or work for, on the project. And I also run the Discord community. But you also have to make hard decisions, like if you have to sack someone or something like that, you'd have to make that decision, wouldn't you? Well, we have two other co-founders for Aperon. One is Orange and the other is Jem. Jem is more the CTO and Orange is the COO. He's the one who sacks most of the people. I sack some people from the community, but Orange is really more the brain of the operations in terms of getting my high concepts onto the ground because I, my background isn't from game development. I can tell you're quite humble as well, and that's not something you often get in a leader of an organization. And the studio is called Funi Magus. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah, and what does that mean? Funimagus is actually a, a really a random name we came up with. Our core company, the development company, is in Hong Kong called Ether Entertainment. And the truth be told, actually, is that when, when the Chinese and U.S. relationships weren't turning that great a few years back, a lot of Chinese developers considered moving their publishing and headquarters to Singapore. And, and so we did as well, just to remain neutral in the whole geopolitical environment. Funi is actually my son's nickname, and my son was born around that time, and everyone pretty much liked him. Uh, sometimes he comes to the office crawling around. And so we call it Funi, and I think Funi is, is dull, one word, so I call Magus the other word. Magus is actually my favorite character from my favorite childhood game, Chrono Trigger. It's a Super Nintendo RPG, one of the best JRPGs out there. And Magus is one of the more badass characters you can recruit in there, and so I combined the two to Funi Magus. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that because I've been doing research on you guys and I've never been able to, it almost sounds like a Scottish name or a Celtic name or something. <laughs> Why don't we start with what is Aperon? Aperon, well, Aperon is, to put it in a very simple term, it's a god game, a game that literally lets you play god. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but, but if you ask me in my mind, Aperon is more than just a game. The moment we founded the company, we were working on several things. It's actually more of a little story I have to tell, so bear with me. So when I first decided to venture into the game development industry, I had some dreams and silly dreams. Things were looking pretty good in the private equity industry, especially during the year 2016. The tech markets were booming, uh, the venture capitals are entering, and then the, the China was opening up. So there were a lot of opportunities. I was given the opportunity, met the right people to, to start my own company. And I was thinking, what should I do? And gaming is the first thing I could think of. So I moved around the scene and met a lot of different people around Asia and Southeast Asia, developers and publishers, and, and I want to develop my own game. I want to develop something new, absolutely new, on mobile. 
because back then I played a lot of mobile games, paid a lot of money, um, and I found these games to be incomplete. Most of these mobile game business models, they create a game. A lot of them are pretty fun to play in the beginning, but a lot of them move on to reskin or rebuild different types of mini innovations, they call it, instead of trying to complete that game. I think going for innovation is a must. And that's how we, how I really came up with the Revive the God game genre. I play a lot of games and God games is actually one of the ones I replay quite a lot, but you don't see a lot of God games in, in the market since 20 years ago. So I was thinking, how about we, we make a, a God game? So I talked to a lot of different developers and, and then I found a few crazy individuals. One of them was Orange. To, to start this idea with me. And then it really grew to, to what you do today. What we are trying to do is here is trying to find a sustainable model for the developers. Working around the spaces, the gig development business is very prevalent in the entertainment industry, where teams converge and disperse based on gigs, one-off events. It's okay, but I think for Hong Kong and for our team, I think it's more important that we develop a, a product, a franchise that, that, that can be more sustainable. And so we can continuously groom and enhance the team mm. because ultimately that's the best way to, to become a more sustainable company. And so we didn't just develop Apron from a game perspective, we developed it from an IP, like the Japanese ACG perspective, where we have animation, comics, games, stories, and merchandise in mind. One thing I've noticed in this world is that there is no shortage of ambition for people who are making blockchain games. Everyone I speak to is, oh, no, I'm not just making one game, I'm making several games. There's there's a tension there, isn't there? Because what you say is right. There's franchise building, which is smart, and you get synergy with all these other cross-media opportunities and multiple games, continuity. But on the other hand, you have to ship games as well, right? Yeah. And you can be too ambitious. You'll plan one game, but then you'll start planning the next before you finish the first. Do you think that's a fair criticism or? It's a very fair criticism. Most developers actually don't have the funding or the resources to develop for seven years. To be honest, a lot of our money was made playing Axie as well. Yeah, hang on, you made funding money for Fooney and the other company through playing Axie? Yes, because we were always exploring um, different gameplay business models and everything and blockchain came along. Actually, our co-founder, Orange, he pushed for AppProm to become a blockchain game really early, like in 2018, but I was too skeptical back then, so didn't lock too much in there. But then he pushed really hard again early in 2020. And then so we began locking on different games and everything. And so we began playing a lot of Axie towards the end of 2020. And we found it to be quite interesting. And then we had a team of three people, a game designer, an analyst, and myself, and also one partner, actually, so four people. And then we were looking into the game and we, we bought a whole bunch of axes. I think we owned 2% of all axes back then. Wow. And then, and then we, we looked into that game design we, they, because they are not creating new cards, new axes. So we studied them and then we pretty much found out how they were balancing. So we just kept breeding axes according to the next meta update. And then we had a huge farm going and we witnessed the rise of, of axes. Did you get out at the top of the market? We got out in October when they readjusted SLP and uh, the AXS breeding costs. We looked at the default tokenomics, we saw some, a lot of flaws and how they managed it. And then we were designing Apron around it. We, for Apron, we redesigned everything. We kept the core mechanisms, the guard game and the card-based battle, but we incorporated the breeding, we incorporated the card-based uh, game. 
Did you actually enjoy playing Axie? It, it's, I think it's more than money. But yeah. there, there were moments that were enjoyable. But you don't want Aperon to suffer the same fate that Axie did, a bubble. Well, we, we tried to remodel our system and our tokenomics and how our NFTs work to make sure that we don't suffer the same fate. But what we really tried to do is make the system a bit more flexible. So we have more levers and utilities so that we can adjust to different market conditions. Yeah. I still always studying new games and other games tokenomics to see how we can adjust. I don't think I have found the solution. We've definitely found a mechanism that can allow us to be more adaptable by using more, actually more assets tokens, which sounds counterintuitive to most investors. But actually, by having more tokens and more resources and assets, it's, it allows us to filter different types of users and allows us to devise more mechanisms to engage different types of user behavior. One question is, so that's a complicated system. So I've read what I can about your tokenomics and I always read white papers and they invariably confuse me. And I always wonder, who gets this? A simple question. Do you have to understand Aperon's tokenomics to play the game? Oh, I'd say not really. To play the game, definitely not. Because for most user journeys in the game, it's everything starts from the tutorial. You get the basics, you get the basic coin, the token. As you progress, as you level up, you, have to, you get to learn more. And how do we turn the blockchain functions and processes as part of the game? Because the best tutorials, the best games, I've always envisioned they, they actually don't have tutorials because the tutorial level has been seamlessly incorporated into the narrative, into the storytelling. And we want to do something like that for the on-chain side. I certainly hope there'll be breakthrough in on-chain technology and functions in the future. But if there's not, then the best way to allow users on into on-chain function is to incorporate the on-chain function as part of the game narrative, as part of the tutorial. So they become accustomed to their resources and tokens one by one and how they actually work. But on Web3 side, so because gamers and users are not approaching as gamers, actually, they're approaching as investors. More. So they try that they should try to understand the entirety of the game and the tokenomics without the game. So it's like watching a World of Warcraft player going into a raid. If you have seen the raid UI and you turn up the screen and you try to throw in a new user there looking at all four rows of the buttons and all the UI and it's absolutely confusing for a lot of people because they don't get to experience each mechanic themselves, especially in the game interface, where game interfaces is an interactive user journey. But this is, again, one of the main things that we are really struggling at right now, where we want to convey this message to our users. Now, what about wallet sign-in? I speak to many developers who like hide blockchain integrations. They set up a wallet in the background, and then when the players are ready, they give them access to it. We're exploring that heavily right now too, actually. Are you? Our demo was out, like our beta. The season one was out and season two is coming. Season one, we gated it behind like wallets, registration, and even NFTs, but it was an MVP there. So it's more, more the battles are the minimal value product of our battle. There's the core dungeon and the core gameplay mechanisms. We got great feedback and traction over there, but coming out in season two, the more complete PVE roguelike cycle will be there. And that's where we plan to onboard more players. And so we need to explore the custodian wallet parts of the equation. 
that is definitely a must for most referee games right now. And the, honestly, the population of referee gamers right now is really low. Probably in the five digits, like 10 to 15k organic users. A lot of the others are just bolts and old grinders are trying to capitalize on the system. Yeah, because there's active hostility from a lot of Web2 or a lot of mainstream gamers. There's They hate the word NFT. They hate the word crypto. Most gamers back in the days hate mobile. When I founded the company seven years ago, we were talking about mobile game. We had developers who say, I actually don't play mobile games. <laughs> and I was like, why, then why are you developing mobile games? But many changed. Another thing I've noticed is that people have trouble shipping product and hitting deadlines. What's your roadmap look like, Frank? We've been working with some of the launches. So you've got Hyperplay, the one that's being developed by the MetaMask, the ex-MetaMask team. Epic Games recently opened up their self-publishing models, so we applied. Hopefully something good comes up there. There's also some other launches and platforms like Fractal uh, that we're looking into to see if it can help us get to more Web2 users. Season 2 is in April. The internal testing, the premium holder testing, partners had to begin at the end of this month. And then I think it will take around one to two weeks. Around the second week of April will be when the season two will launch. And then season three is PVP. That will be launched, I guess, towards the end of May. From there on, the PVP modes with all the planets and all the custom classes, the testing should begin at the end of May. And we'll decide whether to do the token launch with it mm -hmm. or with the game alone. Our, we are targeting the launch to be in summer, between June to August. And the mobile version's coming in season three. Mobile version is either season three or it will be available upon the summer launch. So Frank, tell me, how many people do you need to be playing your game for this to work? I know you're a numbers guy, so I know you would have a number. In order for the ecosystem to be sustainable, I think a good 10,000 active players is a must. But to really go on to be more of a success, I mean, then we really have to hit the basic metrics of what a successful mobile game should be. Success is 10 million. Just a mere 10 million people. 10 million would be the, well, what I call success. That, that would be the definition of success. 10 million purchased users. So because it's an NFT game and the players who have interacted or who bought a planet somewhere along the journey will be called a, a paid user, so to speak. That's an interesting aspiration because I know in the publishing game, if you've got 100 subscribers, you can expect two to pay basically. So you think that you can get a much higher paid percentage? Our conversion rate is actually very high. Our registered users to our play users, and actually our registered users to the to the NFT ownership ratio, and that's actually quite high compared to many other games. And then from the player NFT ownership ratio to the actual players who play the game is also extremely high. So our conversion rates are pretty good right now. But of course, our numbers are still small, so it wouldn't constitute a statistically a significant or proven model just yet. But I guess that's what we are really trying to experiment with season two, as we will open up a much larger marketing campaign and user onboarding, easier user onboarding process, and how and see how we can convert these users who who play for free and come in the ecosystem, and from playing, how they convert into actual registered users. And then from there to to owners of our NFT assets, and then um, well, fingers crossed. And hopefully, we'll work with a lot of our different partners. And I know Palamos also have university programs on the way. We're happy to work with them. A lot of gaming guilds, 
have moved on to educational platforms or incentivized platforms for daily users to to log in and play and experience different games. And I will be working with every single one of them in season two. And then I will probably also be onboarding some of the more experienced marketers in the space to help us get the messaging in a more simplified and direct manner. As you see throughout this meeting, I'm actually not great at that. I easily digress and always talk too much instead of focusing on concise points. That's a running problem I think I'm running into. The great thing about you is that you're very open. So I'll take any measure of digression as long as you tell me interesting things. Tell me, Frank, about your personal journey. So I know that you started in a management consultancy and in the world of finance. How different is Frank Cheng now from the Frank Cheng then? You know, I've seen pictures of you with a suit and tie. I'm not seeing you wear a suit and tie these days. <laughs> I'm a pretty typical like Chinese Asian guy. My parents have great aspirations. And as an opportunist, so to speak, most Asians or Chinese people are, they mean, we look at what's best out there. What's the best job? What's the, uh, what's the current trends? What's the most prestigious job that, that can get you a good resume? So the year I graduated was around 2006, 2007. I went to the iBanking industry. I actually worked in Goldman Asset Management or as an intern. And that's where I, I met a mentor that's really good, uh, brought me into McKinsey. And then from McKinsey, I worked and then I tried to get a, I was trying to stay until I hit the managerial level, but then the, the thesis didn't work out. They, we, they had, they wanted me to apply for a green card and I know can't pay too much taxes. And I do, I'm pretty sure I, I will go back to Hong Kong and Asia to work. So I went back early. My mentor told me to look into private equity and, and venture capital. So I found, uh, so back then I tried to find a private equity fund in Asia, going into one of the bigger ones actually, and learned a lot. That's actually where a lot of drinking happened, and that's with most Chinese funds. And then it was insane. The amount of people I met, the stuff I learned, but also I, I was always a gamer. So even between the drinking and work, I was always trying to take a look at what's out there in the games and try to play single-player games mostly. I can't really afford mm. to play online games. I'm highly addictive at competitive. I have to play single-player games. Otherwise, I'll get sucked in. But then I still got sucked in at the mobile because of the fragmented game time. But I always wondered what it would be like to start my own things. And I was given an opportunity and a little crazy because I have to sacrifice a lot. Stable income, great connections, great life. And going from buy side into sell side, that's a very big transition. But I really wanted to try. And it was very tiring, very demanding, absolute flip of roles, but extremely rewarding. I enjoyed games. And working in something that you truly enjoy, like even from a notebooks, scratching up game designs, talking with game developers and meeting game developers and seeing many interesting new characters you don't really see in the background of game development and talking to them, learning about their lives is, is very interesting. And it's something, no matter how new and difficult it may be, it keeps me energized. And, and even for seven years of development under the hood, six years under the hood, so to speak, it was, it was still something that I really loved. But then, of course, getting married and having a kid and everything is another thing. They don't really marry very well, having kids, having entrepreneurship, and especially entering crypto. I think handling these three things requires someone who absolutely hates sleeping. And luckily, that's me. Mm-hmm. And, and, but still, it's eating into me. I think I don't think I'm that young anymore, reaching yeah, for it. It's a strange world, isn't it? Because you make something for years and years, and then... It's out there and it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Does that make you nervous? Yeah, it does. 
but the times are better. Gaming, that you're not launching a single product anymore. It's always there's always patches that development you can adjust and tweak, and the communities are more open. Channels more open, and a lot of community members they they're willing to stay as long as they see potential. But yes, we'll need to keep up the development side. For us, a lot of our resources is in the product. We focus on just getting the product right, and so well, we'll see. Hopefully, yeah, wonderful. Did you did you have more children aside from Fooney? Yes, I have one son and one daughter. My daughter is one year old, and she's named Kelly. And her nickname is Samsung, so may have something along the path like that if we have a subsidiary. Frank, I really appreciate you being so open and having this talk with me today. Well, hopefully next time we talk, we can talk more about the actual game and the gameplay and how to get more there. Yeah, great, and good luck, Frank. Thank you. We'll need it. Well, that was Frank Cheng from Funi Makers, the studio making the game called Aperon. A final snippet: the word itself, Aperon, comes from ancient Greek philosophy, and it means infinite or unlimited. See what you learn on key characters. Thanks for being with me today. My name is Hal Crawford, and I'm the head of content at blockchain gaming platform Polymos. Bye for now. <laughs>